morning. We're going to come round to the Word of God now. If you've got a Bible with you, we've read it already once today, but I'm going to read it again. Mark chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 14. And this is what it says. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you a fisher for people. At once, they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, and, uh, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. I'm going to pray as Zoe comes up to speak to us this morning. Father God, we thank you for your words, and thank you for Zoe. Thank you for what she's prepared. And may we have ears to hear and receptive hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. Good morning. We are continuing our sermon series this morning, and we have spent January, February, and March as a church studying the narrative of Scripture, singling out journeys along the way that God's people have traveled. With the intention of asking the question as a church, God, where are you taking us? How is my journey with Christ going, and collectively as a church, asking God questions where our focus and our vision should be. And we're coming into land over the next few weeks leading up to Easter. We're focusing on Jesus today, how he called his first disciples. And next week, we'll think about Jesus's journey uh, with, with Lazarus, leading to Palm Sunday, the triumphant journey into Jerusalem, the journey to the cross, and then the journey that disciples take to see the empty tomb. But today we see Jesus invite his disciples to follow him. And I want us to examine this account together this morning, how Jesus called his first disciples according to the Gospel of Mark. And as we do that, we're going to consider Jesus as our example, as a model of inviting others to follow him and to come on the journey with us. So that's what we're talking about this morning. We're going to study Jesus' strategy, if you like, as we see him uh, journeying somewhere, and that requires others to go with him. And then we'll see the incredible response of the disciples, and how we'll see the fact for them is that when they go on the journey, that's when it becomes clear. And then finally, we'll see how it's our job. That's my central message this morning. It's our job to invite others to come on this journey of faith with us. So that's where we're going. Because what we see in this passage, that Luke's read for us a couple of times this morning, let it sink in, is this experience of an invitation of a lifetime. The disciples have the mighty call up. Let's linger there for a moment. Can you resonate with this feeling? What was the last 
thing you were invited to do. It's that feeling that a child gets, isn't it? When they're invited to go to a birthday party, they've been chosen, they might have an invite in their book bag and they're so excited to tell you about this invitation and they wanna go. What was the last thing you were chosen to do or when you got invited? Maybe it was a work thing, you were asked to speak or chair or present something and it's a real privilege. Or maybe you got invited to a wedding and you have recently got married yourself and you know what it means to cut down that guest list. I want us to grasp that feeling this morning, that emotion that it provokes in us when we are chosen, when we are invited. Because Jesus is here calling out a bold invitation to Simon and to his brother Andrew, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. An invitation to follow him. Why is that breathtaking? We read it quite often, don't we? Because Jesus is making a very special claim about who he is here. The practice of having disciples in Jesus' day wasn't a new concept like it is maybe for us. It's one that they would have been very, very familiar with. But that The flip side to that feeling of being invited, being chosen, is the opposite to that, when you've not made the cut, when you've not been chosen. Because no rabbi or scholar of the day had chosen these disciples. They'd been ignored so far. They weren't the most socially prominent, they weren't the best trained, they weren't the most skilled, or even religiously devout. The invitation of the day would have been, come and be my apprentice, come and be my student, and I, as a rabbi or teacher, will teach you everything I know about the scriptures. I can teach you X, Y, or Z. But they hadn't made the cut. But Jesus does this differently. Not only does he choose them, he magnifies this one step further, and he says, come and follow me. Do you realize what he's, what he's doing here? He's declaring himself to be the son of man. Don't just come and learn from me. Come and live with me. The word who became flesh and dwelt amongst them. What an invitation. It's an invitation from the master himself. Why have an emulation or a copy when the original is inviting you to follow him? The first thing I want us to see this morning is that Jesus is going somewhere and he requires his disciples to go with him. Jesus is going somewhere and he requires his disciples to go with him. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. And we learn quickly from this very fast-paced commentary of Mark that Jesus is on a mission. We're 14 verses in to his gospel, and we learn that Jesus has gone to Galilee to proclaim the good news. And this is really significant. Some people have suggested that in Mark's gospel, we see three acts. What I mean by that is it's like a play that has three parts of three scenes. Acts 1, scene 1, is set in Galilee, 
Here is Jesus to proclaim the good news. Act 2, scene 2, we see the journey from Galilee to Jerusalem. We studied that journey together a few weeks ago, didn't we? Where Jesus, we saw he resolutely set out for Jerusalem with the ascension in mind. And then the third part of the gospel, the third act, is the very acts that take place in Jerusalem themselves, the events of the cross, where Jesus demonstrates what it means to be the servant king, a really, really key theme for Mark. But John Mark kicks off his gospel with that proclamation. It's the only time we really hear what he thinks of Jesus, and that's quite significant. It starts, the opening act of Mark starts by saying, the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, and then goes on to quote from Isaiah. What is happening here is straight away, Mark is telling us who Jesus is. He's the Messiah, the Son of God. And what happens through the following scenes in the gospel is that people are attempting to catch up and work out who on earth this Jesus is. In the opening Acts of Mark, we see Jesus make this phenomenal announcement. The kingdom of God is near. And there's an incredible invitation that follows where Jesus says, come and follow me. An invitation to live under God's mighty reign by following Jesus. Jesus is on a mission right from the beginning and there's an invitation to follow others, to follow him for others to do. To live under God's mighty reign, to join in this very mission straight away from the beginning. There's an invitation to live under God's mighty reign by following Jesus. There's no time delay. Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus is going somewhere and he requires his disciples to go with him. And I find that astonishing. The Messiah, the son of man, invites others to join him on the journey. Knowing, to put it bluntly, that the task he has was going to be hindered by those who were with him at times rather than helped. He could have done it on his own. And aren't we tempted at times to do it on our own, to not include others, just to crack on with the task that we are given? But here, we see Jesus invite others to go on mission with him, knowing it's going to be messy. He doesn't have that attitude that we have sometimes. And in Mark chapter 3, verse 16, we see the lists that make it to the final 12. And I'm going to read them out just because when we hear these names again, I think it makes the point that I'm trying to make for me. That Jesus invites others and at times it takes a toll. These are the 12 he appointed. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. James, the son of Zebedee and his brothers John, his brother John. To them he gained the name Bornegus, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. What do we see from the list? Jesus identifies, appoints, and invests in 12 others to go on mission with him. And it was intentional. It took a lot of his time. He did life with them. Three years of relationship development going on here, and at times it took its toll. Because we're familiar with some of those names, aren't we? Some of those characters. 
We've got the all guns blazing Peter. We've got the brothers who are known as the sons of thunder. And we have the one who ultimately betrayed him. Jesus is going somewhere and he requires his disciples to go with him. Why? Because essentially what Jesus does is he invests in a few. He appoints the 12, he develops the three, and he ultimately uses Peter to build his church. But he invests in a few for the sake of many. And I want us to grasp from the outset today that what we see Jesus do is he is the ultimate discipleship making movement maker. We see in this passage, in six verses, Jesus invites four people to follow him. And the effects of this is is far reaching. He invests deeply in a few, and this has far reaching effects. And we see later, he entrusts the 12 to go out in pairs, proclaiming this good news, the kingdom of God is near, to come back to him, to report the signs of the kingdom, to go again and this mass crowd starts following Jesus and then Jesus sends out the 72 wider and leaves us with the ultimate widening of this invitation the great commission to go therefore making disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age We see this process of multiplication, of expansion, starting with one invitation to come and follow. It's going to take its toll, but Jesus is going somewhere and he requires his disciples to go with him. And the incredible thing is that the journey for the disciples only becomes clear when they're on the journey. Because what astounds me in the passage today is the immediacy of their response. They leave everything behind and they follow Jesus. Verse 18 tells us, at once they left their nets and they followed him. Without delay, the other brothers left their father in the boat and their hired men and they followed Jesus. And it always makes me ask this question, how can they say yes so instantly, without hesitation, leave everything behind? And just follow. And it's interesting because in Matthew's gospel, he kind of says that the disciples do this because John the Baptist tells them who Jesus is. They have a tip off and then they go. And in Luke's account of this calling of Jesus' disciples, he suggests that they might have witnessed a miracle first. But would that make it easier to leave everything behind? But however you square it, I think it's really helpful for us to frame this idea today with the fact that the journey for the disciples became clear when they were on the journey. They're not given the full picture. They're not promised an easy life. They're simply asked to follow. Their whole framework or outlook on life is changed. They're no longer fishermen and they're called to be fishers of men. They will be disciples of Jesus who make other disciples. Jesus uses the culture around them to make himself accessible to them. And faith and discipleship is explained in ways that they understand and they're hooked. They go, they say yes. And the journey only becomes clear 
when they're on it. How do I know that? Act 2 or scene 2 in the Gospel of Mark shows the disciples grappling with this question, who is Jesus? We see them asking this question as they're traveling with Jesus from Galilee to Jerusalem. And finally, in Mark chapter 8, we kind of see Jesus turn around to his disciples and ask, who do you say that I am? The disciples and many others in the day, the followers of Jesus or religious leaders, they're asking this question. They're living with that tension. They think that Jesus is the Messiah, but he's not how they were expecting him to be. And Jesus has this conversation again with his disciples. And I'm sure many parents in the room can resonate. You're having the same conversation again. And Jesus says, and this time he reinforces the message explaining who he is by saying, I am the son of man. The son of man did not come to be served, but became to be a servant to give his life as a ransom for many. Why do I make those two links this morning? I hope this is an encouragement for us because if our story hasn't been this far or currently isn't an instant yes, then we see for the disciples, it becomes clear when they're on the journey. It's okay to grapple with questions of faith The disciples did, and they were physically with Jesus. And I think this is really helpful for us as we think about how we are to share our faith with others, that we might not have one conversation with uh, with someone about faith and see them come to faith instantly. But it's, and at times we might, we believe in the transforming power of the gospel and we believe in a God who can set people free instantly from addiction. But this immediate yes of leaving everything behind that we see in our passage today is helpfully framed by a journey or a lifetime of working out who Jesus is. It's clear for the disciples when they're on the journey. So as we go then on a journey as a church and as individuals following Christ, it will become clear when we're on the journey what God is calling us to do. And it's our job, as we journey, to invite other people onto the journey. The task that is given to us is to be disciples first, who make disciples. And Jesus makes this look so simple, doesn't he? After all, he is the Son of Man. He is the Messiah, the Christ himself. But one day, he walks along a shoreside and asks the question, who's coming with me? But do we see the great commission that Jesus gave as our everyday mission today? All followers of Jesus are called to make disciples, who then make disciples. And I wonder what this looks like for you at the moment. Because I think it looks like believers making a regular habit of talking about faith, of sharing our faith. And this is a message for me this morning as well. Who am I sharing faith with? A recent survey conducted by the Evangelical Alliance called Changing, the Changing Church Survey, released in November 2021, suggested that the main barrier for people not sharing their faith was simply the lack of relationships that they have with people who don't have a faith. 
So put simply, Christians aren't positioned uh, to share their faith with others because they're not commonly spending time with people who don't know Jesus. And the other main reasons they said that people shared with them for not feeling confident to share their faith is the fear of being rejected or unsure how to answer the difficult questions that they might get posed with. Or they never see any opportunities or they feel ill-equipped to share their faith. And I think a survey like that's really helpful. Let's name it to tame it. What are the reasons why we're not sharing our faith with others? And at points I've questioned my networks, my friendships, my circles that I mix with. How much time do I spend with people who are not Christians? Let's be real, I work for a church. I grew up in a Christian family. And I've intentionally over the last couple of years joined a netball team to make friends and to mix with people who live uh, a life without Jesus in it. And here's the thing. I wonder, though, whether we are all mixing with more people than we realize. Jesus is in the business of multiplication, of inviting others to follow him. He empowers them to then go and invite others to follow him. And Jesus, in his everyday context, a sea by Galilee, invited people to follow. And I think each of our contexts do look different. But someone shared this illustration with me recently. And if you're up for it, I'd love you just to wave a hand at me. And we're going to use our fingers. Because they suggested that there are five circles of people that we mix with without even thinking it. Without even thinking about it. The first people that we mix with without maybe thinking about is our family. So people may be coming to mind in your family, in my family, that don't know Jesus. And then when you think about the friends that you have, do you have friends that don't know Jesus? And then neighbors, where are you living? People around you that don't know Jesus. Do you have colleagues who don't know Jesus? And do you have acquaintances that don't know Jesus? But there's probably more people that come to mind instantly than we first think. There's more people in our everyday lives than we realized who don't know Christ, who we mix with all the time. So now, as we look at going on a journey where we invite others to come on this journey with us, I want us to be praying and encouraging one another to share our faith outside these walls with people that don't know Jesus yet? How much time are we giving to living life with people like Jesus did? It was relational, it was intentional, and at times it, it took its toll. But our job is to do the inviting, and that's freeing because Christ will do the watering, the growing, and, and Jesus' model was look local, look around you, where you are, the people that you are doing everyday activities of life with, who is open to faith, who is curious, how can we be having spiritual conversations? And what you see in the Gospels is that some will follow, some will say yes and go forwards on the journey, working out their journey of faith. Some will refuse to follow and some won't know what to make of Jesus. They'll misunderstand who he is. But Jesus started this kingdom movement that's going on today that isn't static. It's relational. And it's our job to get involved. 
And we're talking about this today, not because it's a good idea, but because it's Christ's idea. The Great Commission is our everyday mission if we are followers of Jesus. So today I think we see in this passage that Jesus was going somewhere and he invited others to go with him. And this became clear to them whilst they were on the journey. And it will become clear to us too. So we are commissioned to go, to share our faith with those around us. And I'd love this morning to pray for boldness and courage because it's our job to invite others to come on this journey of faith with us. And we had, didn't we, here in this place a few weeks ago, a partnership renewal service where some of you can still picture that, that paper chain that I attempted to make. But for me, that image was really striking. What does it look like in 12 months' time if we're celebrating new partners that have come to faith in this next year? Jesus invested in a few for the sake of many. And I want to close this morning by simply sharing a video to see how simply this all starts, how a movement of multiplication starts powerfully by one of us having a conversation with one other. And I hope that this articulates far better than me this morning. Let's start small. Let's start simple. Who around us can we share our faith with? As Luke will then come and help lead us in a time of response where we pray and boldly ask the question, who is the one person I could share my faith with? Uh, let's, let's take a look at this video. Would you rather be given $1 million or one penny doubled every day for 30 days? You remember this question from math class, right? This is when we all learned the power of compound interest and exponential growth. At the end of 30 days, that doubled penny becomes just over $5 million. Turns out, the same concept applies to missions. Imagine you filled a football stadium with 100,000 people for a gospel outreach event and 20% of them came to know Christ. That day, 20,000 people would come into the kingdom. If you did that every day for a year, over 7 million people would come to faith. That sounds pretty great, right? Here's the question though. If you kept that pace of 7 million people each year, how long would it take to reach the world's population of 8 billion people? Over 1,000 years, 1,095 to be exact. A 100,000-person outreach event every day for a 1,000 years? From a pure numbers standpoint, mass evangelism will not reach the world for Christ in our lifetime. What about a different strategy inspired by that original math problem? Instead of preaching to 100,000 people every day, suppose you made one disciple each year, focused on their development, and equipped them to make their own new disciple every year. At the end of the first year, you would have two followers of Jesus, you and your disciple. At the end of the second year, you would have four, eight the third year, 16 the fourth, and so on, 32, 64, 128. How many years would it take to disciple the world using this strategy? 34 years. Do the math. Something profound happens when we take a multiplication mindset. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. He continues by instructing us to teach those disciples to obey everything he commanded us. 
What was his final command? Go and make disciples. So our role is to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples that obey the command to make disciples. We're to go to all nations and make disciple-making disciples. That's multiplication. Reach the few in order to reach the many. What if you didn't feel the burden to preach to an entire village or city or country, but instead were faithful to the simple multiplication principles of the Great Commission? The entire world could be discipled in our generation if we started with just one. What about you? How might God want you to be involved in making disciples that make disciples and seeing movements of Jesus among every tribe, tongue, people, and nation? Would you rather fill a stadium every day for the next thousand years or commit to making one disciple this year? Let's do this together until all have heard, starting with discipling one. So, who's your one?